Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Worship. 
So here's the question we need to answer. What are we worshiping this morning? Kevin, you can go ahead and take that slide out. Thank you. See, we all worship something, don't we? We all have something in our minds and something in our lives and something in our hearts that bring us all and we see majesty and beauty in and there are things in our hearts and our lives that we worship but we're told over and over again in Scripture that we're to worship the Lord. In fact, if you were to study through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you would see that the idea of worship comes up over and over and over again. And not only is it significant in the Old Testament, not only is it significant in the New Testament, but we see examples in Scripture that worship for us will be, as believers, eternal. And so we read passages like Revelation chapter 4, and John has seen a vision of the throne of God, and he says, speaking of the living creatures that surround the throne in Verse 8 of Revelation 4, he says there were four living creatures. And each of them had six wings, and they were full of eyes around them and within them. And watch this. And day and night, they never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. So we're beginning a series this morning that we've entitled True Worship. Because I think it's important for us, as much as the Old Testament speaks of worship, as much as the New Testament speaks of worship, as much as we understand that in eternity, looking ahead, we will worship, we need to understand exactly what worship is. And so we're going to begin this morning in our study of understanding worship in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to open to John chapter 4. Our focus this morning will be verses 19 through 26. Now, as you're flipping to John chapter 4, let me give you a little bit of background about this passage of Scripture. You'll all be familiar with John chapter 3. You know the story of Nicodemus. He's come to Jesus at night. He's asked Jesus about salvation. Jesus has explained to him in several different ways and several different verses, the crux of which is John 3.16, that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And he explains that we all know the verse, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that who believes in Him will not perish and have eternal life. We know that verse. Well, after Jesus and Nicodemus have finished their conversation, the Bible tells us that Jesus has to go northward back to the Sea of Galilee, to the area that He grew up in, and, and minister to people. But the Bible tells us that when He does that, if you understand the geography of, of that part of the world, He's got to go north through Samaria. And when he goes through Samaria, the disciples in here are walking and they're tired and they're hungry and they're thirsty and they stop at a well in John chapter 4 and they drink some water. And it's at this well that we have one of the most profound conversations in all the New Testament. Jesus Christ speaks with this as she's known woman at the well. And they begin to have this conversation about living water and about eternity and about salvation. And this woman notices early on in the conversation that there's something different about Jesus. She understands that there's something very different about who he is and how he speaks, and especially about how he speaks truth into her life. And so we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus is a woman of the world. Scriptures say this, Sir, the woman said, 
I can see that you're a prophet. See, she understands there's something different about Jesus. Verse 20, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I am. The one speaking to you, I am He. We're going to stop there this morning. There's a lot of stuff kind of filling up these few verses. There, there are lots of things that we can kind of delve into and lots of truths that we can unpack this morning. But there's some things I want you to understand. Based on this teaching of Scripture, they're going to form for us a foundation as we move forward over the next many weeks. They help us better understand exactly what worship is. So here's the first principle I want you to see this morning as we're going to begin to study through this text. Principle number one, truth number one. Worship is more than just a set time and a set place. Worship is more than a set time and a set place. Verse 20, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we worship must be in Jerusalem. See, this woman is all about locations right now. Jesus, we're supposed to worship here on the mountain, but I know you Jews are supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And so she, she's very interested in the locations and the places that she's supposed to worship. And Jesus responds in verse 21, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem. Jesus says it's not really about the time, because that's yet to come. And it's not really about the place, because you're not going to worship here or in Jerusalem. Now let me just say this to be clear as we move forward right now. What we do on Sunday morning during this moment and during this time is absolutely worship. And we are correct to call it a worship service or a time together of worship. But the truth you need to understand from this text is if your worship of the Lord is limited to a couple of hours on Sunday morning, you are missing the truth of the Word of God. You understand that? If you think worship is about when you show up at church Sunday morning and it starts then and it ends when you go to lunch Sunday afternoon, if you think that's worship for you, then that's all that's ever included in your worship. You're missing the truth of the Word of God. And I would argue that you're missing an incredible blessing of experiencing God in all areas of your life. Christ says to this woman, listen, it's really not about the place. (laughs) It's really not even about the time. What's more important when we think about worship is your heart. And I spent a lot of time the, the, uh, the last several weeks, especially the last couple of months, I've been reading books on worship. And I, I've run across several different theologians and their definition of worship. And I only give you a few of these definitions. John Frame, some of you will be familiar with him, says that work is, excuse me, worship is the work of acknowledging the greatness of our Lord. Warren Wiersbe, many of our older folks may remember him and be very familiar with him. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to what God is and what He says and what He does. Wayne Grudem, a very well-known theologian in our world today, says that worship is the activity of glorifying God in His presence with our voices and our hearts. Now, there are lots of different definitions, but I want to give you a working definition that we're going to use today and we're going to use as we move forward over the next several weeks. Worship is recognizing the greatness of God and properly responding to Him. 
Worship is recognizing the greatness of God and properly responding to Him. Now let's put this conversation between the woman at the well and Jesus Christ in John chapter 4. Let's put that in the perspective so we can understand. Now some of you may already know, but the Jews for centuries had worshipped at the temple. The Jews for centuries before that had worshipped in the tabernacle. In fact, if you were to go back in the Old Testament... Excuse me, and studied the Exodus. And you were to see the moment when Moses goes into Pharaoh and he asks Pharaoh to let his people go. If you study that passage of Scripture, you'll understand that Moses claims that the people need to leave so they can go into the wilderness and worship. That's what Moses says to Pharaoh. You know the story of the people leaving and eventually they're in the wilderness and they're wandering for four years. But we see early in this process that God gives them clear vision and clear direction about how they should worship. And so in Exodus 25... Verses 8 and 9, we see the Lord giving in these instructions. Have them, these are the people, make me a sanctuary, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern. I will show you. Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai. He's going to receive the Ten Commandments, but he's going to receive very specific instructions about how this tabernacle will be built. Now, you know, if you study this, it's just a tent to start with. It is able to be mobile and move around with them in the desert. If you fast forward several hundred years, you know they built a permanent temple in Jerusalem. And the woman alludes to that in the passage of Scripture. And so for the Jewish people, the idea of sacrificing at the tabernacle and the idea of sacrificing at the temple was a part of their life. That's how they understood the atonement of sin was the sacrifice that they made. But it's interesting because as you read through the Old Testament, as you study the Old Testament, you'll notice that it really never was about a time and a place. It's always been about the heart of the people. So, for example, we see in Isaiah 29 13. I just wonder how much this text applies to our lives even now. God says, This people, speaking about the Jewish people, draw near with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. See that? It's not about a time, and it's not just about a place, it's about our hearts. So here's the problem for some of the believers. We think we can compartmentalize our worship to a few hours on Sunday morning. We think we can do anything we want the rest of the week. We can live our lives the way we want to live our lives. We can show up on Sunday morning, we can flip a switch, and we can worship the Lord, and everybody can be happy. Here's the problem with that. That's not the worship of the Lord. That's not the worship prescribed in Scripture. If you think you could just live your life Monday through Saturday any way you want to, to show up on Sunday morning and unpack that box of worship and flip that switch and the Lord's going to be honored, I think you're missing the truth of Scripture. In fact, one writer said it like this. He said, if our words are foolish, sensual, or sinful during the week, it's hard for people to take us seriously when our mouths are suddenly filled with God's praise on Sunday See, worship for us needs to be all we call. Worship for us needs to encompass everything that we do. Worship for us is so much more than simply Sunday morning. Worship is not about a time. Worship is not about a place. Worship is about our hearts and how we respond to the Lord. But I want to see something in Scripture that's more than that. Let's take a step farther and look at verse 22 again. Jesus makes this very interesting statement to this woman at the well. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. That's awfully important. We're going to talk about that in a second. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Here's the second truth I want you to understand this morning. Number two, we must worship in a way that is pleasing to God. 
Now some of you may be shocked to hear or to understand for the first time that there are ways we can attempt to worship that won't please the Lord. There are things that we can do that will not bring honor to Him. There are things that we can do that won't bring glory to Him. And it's interesting to me how Christ makes this little revealing statement in verse 22. And He says to this woman, you worship what you do not know. Now we don't know exactly what that means. Christ doesn't elaborate. He doesn't give us any specific. But we understand based on the conversation, we understand based on what Christ is saying here, that He knows there's something wrong with the worship of this Samaritan woman. He doesn't tell us exactly what it is. He doesn't tell us how to remedy it. He doesn't tell us what's going on with her or what her problem is. But we understand that there's something wrong because they're worshiping here what they don't know. Now one writer who was speaking of the Samaritans and, and how they lived and how they worshiped made an interesting comment. He said that they were ignorant of the true God. Now if the Samaritans were ignorant of the true God, then we can, we can at least make the connection here that their worship wasn't pleasing to the Lord. Because if they're not worshiping the Lord for who He is, if they're not worshiping the truth of the Lord, if they don't understand who God truly is, then they can't worship Him in ways that are pleasing to Him. So we need to understand. I just want to be clear here before we move forward. It's possible in Scripture for us to understand that there are ways in which we can worship the Lord that are not pleasing to Him. Okay, we understand that. Let's fast forward 2,000 years. Now, based on the clear teaching of John chapter 4, that there was something wrong with the Samaritans' worship, and Christ doesn't give us specifics. Based on the fact that we knew that they weren't worshiping the Lord in the way the Lord wanted to be worshipped. Based on the fact that we understand from that teaching that apparently there's some ways that we can worship the Lord falsely in ways that don't honor Him. Let's ask some questions. Here's the first question I want to ask. Is it possible that we, in our context and culture today, may worship in ways that aren't pleasing to God? Is that possible? Is it possible that we have a false view of worship because we have an improper view of God? Is it possible that we miss the truth of worship because we miss the greatness of God? See, I think if we're not careful sometimes, we do things the way we want to do them, and we worship the Lord the way we want to worship Him, never assuming and never considering the truth that He may have prescribed for us ways in which we ought to worship Never considering the truth that he may be displeased with the things that we're doing. Never considering the truth that there is a, a, a foundation here. There is a clear teaching in what worship ought to look like. And so Christ kind of contrasts in the end of verse 22. He contrasts the problems with the Samaritans' worship with the truth of how the Jews worship. He says in the end of John 4, 22, we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. See, Jesus is ultimately going to say to this woman in verses 25 and 26 that it's really not about a time or a place. It's about our hearts, but more than our hearts, it's about our hearts understanding Christ and understanding salvation and desiring to live our lives in such a way to bring Him honor and glory. It's about our hearts, but it's about our hearts with proper focus on Christ and on His work and figuring out how we can take what Christ has shown us and the truth of the Word of God and apply that to our lives so we can be transformed more into His image. That's what worship looks like. But Jesus isn't finished there. So He's going to delve into a little more. He's going to kind of take a step farther down here to help us better understand worship. Look at verse 23. He says, Yet a time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. 
God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's the third truth I want you to understand. Not only is worship not about a time or place, not only is worship about our hearts, and not only do we need to understand that there are ways we can improperly worship the Lord, but here's the third thing. If we're going to understand true worship, if we're going to understand what Christ is saying to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, we need to understand this third point. Number three, we must worship God in spirit and truth. That's what Christ says. It can't be any clearer than that. That Christ gives us this interesting phrase in verse 23. He says, The time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. See, there's this indication here that there must be false worshipers. There's this sense here that maybe some people, at least in this time period, weren't worshiping the way that they should have worshipped. But Christ is kind of making this statement about what's about to come. And he's contrasting. He says, The time is coming and has now come when this will happen. And what Jesus is doing is kind of looking ahead to his death, burial, and resurrection. We know the story here. Now, the woman at the well wasn't real clear. In fact, she didn't know exactly who Jesus was. And she was confused about who the Messiah was. And she was confused about kind of where this conversation was going. But we know very clearly because of our study and the fact that we've got the canon of Scripture intact. We can study and understand that Jesus is looking ahead here. He's looking ahead to his death, burial, and resurrection. And here's the thing we need to understand. When Jesus willingly walks to Calvary, when Jesus gives up his life on the cross, he does something that's awfully important for us to understand. See, the Jewish people had grown up with this idea of forgiveness through sacrifice, right? You know the stories. They would take the animals to the temple. They would take the animals previously to the tabernacle. They would sacrifice for the atonement of their sin. We see that over and over and over in Scripture. Those sacrifices, now watch this, are always and have always been a picture of Christ. You understand that? It's a picture of one day the sacrifice that will be made for all mankind, once and for all, on the cross in Calvary. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, He takes the place, right? He takes our place on the cross and He bears the wrath of the Father. And He, from that point forward, negates the need for sacrifice. You understand that? No longer do the Jewish people need to sacrifice. No longer do the Jewish people need to go to the temple. Christ, once and for all, has taken their place, and He becomes the sacrificial lamb. So when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, you need to understand this, everything changes at that very moment. Everything changes. Jesus takes this model and this picture of how it used to be, and He brings in, He ushers in this new order of worship. It will focus on who Christ is and His atoning work in our lives. But He gives two very specific words that I want to talk about just for a few minutes. Christ says, if you're going to understand true worship, it's, it's got to begin with me. It's got to begin with the idea of who I am and my sacrifice and what I've given. But He says, if you're going to understand true worship, the true worshipers are the people that worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, what do those words mean? Let's think through just for a few minutes biblically what those two words mean. If we think about the idea of spirit, we can kind of contrast it to the idea of our flesh. And our flesh means that we are doing things that are contrary to the will of God. We're serving ourselves. We're seeking our own desires. We're doing the things that please us. We're kind of looking out for number one, right? That's the flesh. The spirit is when we do things that are related to the Lord. And we try to seek the Lord. And we try to trust Him. And we try to put aside the flesh and the things that we desire in favor of, instead, the things that Christ desires for us. Now, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul gives us this, this very interesting kind of synopsis of worship and the spirit. And here's what he says in Philippians 3 3. 
He says, we worship by the Spirit of God. There are those two ideas right there. And glory in Christ Jesus. And watch this. And put no confidence in the flesh. That's what Paul says. In other words, when we worship the Lord in spirit, what we're ultimately saying is that in our flesh, we have no ability to do these things. In my strength, I have no ability to conquer these enemies. In, in, in my own ability, Father, my own strength, I can't do these things. Instead, Lord, I'm going to set those things aside. I'm going to pick up my cross daily and I'm going to follow you because only, Lord, through your strength can I accomplish these things. Only by your spirit can I do these things, Father. Only because what you've accomplished on the cross am I able to do these things. One scholar kind of said it this way. He said, the true believer in Christ has no grounds whatsoever for human pride or boasting. Only holy satisfaction, excuse me, our holy satisfaction comes from recognizing that our help and hope are found in Christ alone. Free from the demands of the law, we rejoice in the liberating grace of Christ. Worship is God-centered, right? And so to worship the Lord in spirit means that we set aside our flesh and we set aside our desires and we recognize that God is spirit and we're going to trust Him with our life. We're going to trust Him with our decisions. We're going to trust Him with all the things that we do, how we live our lives for His honor and for His glory. That's what spirit means. When you live your life for Christ, taking up your cross daily, you set aside your own desires in favor of what He's called you to do, that's worshiping in spirit. The truth is pretty easy for us to understand and we, we understand truth. We understand what truth means. We understand, at least we should, that there is absolute truth, although that's debatable nowadays by some people, right? The Scripture teaches that there is absolute truth. And so we begin to read about spirit and truth. We understand that the truth of the Word of God is how Jesus reveals Himself to us. How the teaching of Scripture has revealed the Lord to us. And so if we're going to think about worshiping in truth, shouldn't we understand who God is? Shouldn't we understand what the Lord has taught? Shouldn't we understand that a big part of our worship is, is to take that truth and begin to apply that truth to our lives in such a way that He's honored and that He's receiving glory? John 14, 6 says this, Jesus said to me, and I am the way and the, you remember? Truth, right? And the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. See, see to worship the Lord in truth means that we understand who Christ is. We understand what Christ has accomplished. We understand what Christ is trying to do. We understand the commandments of Christ, but it's, it's a step beyond that. Let's be very careful. Because there are all sorts of people that understand the teaching of the Bible. There are all sorts of people that understand the truth of the Bible, but there are fewer people that actually apply to their lives, right? So it's more than just understanding the truth. It's taking the truth, applying it to our lives, and living in such a way that brings honor and glory. Jesus said, if you're going to worship, if you're going to be a true worshiper, you've got to worship in spirit, you've got to worship in truth. You've got to understand the teaching of the Word of God. You've got to understand how to take that teaching and begin to apply that teaching to your life so you follow Christ in all things and you set the flesh aside and you do the things that I've called you to do no matter what the world says. Now here's what's important about that for us. If we're going to really worship in spirit and truth, it ought to happen every moment of every day in our life. See, taking the truth of Scripture and applying it to our lives happens every single day. It's not about showing up on Sunday morning and unpacking the box and flipping the worship switch. It's about going to work tomorrow morning and even in the midst of a very difficult situation to remember the teachings of Christ, 
To set aside your own desires and instead to follow the will of the Lord. That's worship and spirit. As we begin to think through that and understand that, we understand that worship is not about a certain time. Worship is not about a certain place. Worship is about understanding the glory of God and properly responding to Him. See, here's the most amazing thing about worship. Here's the beautiful thing about worship. Worship brings honor and glory to the Lord. But when we live our lives with the idea of worship in mind, when we live our lives with the idea of understanding the truth of Scripture and applying that truth of Scripture to our lives to do all the things that Christ has called us to do, when we live our lives like that, guess what happens? Other people around us know this. They begin to see that there's a difference. They begin to see that we're living our lives in ways that they're not living their lives. And when we begin to do those things, when we focus on the Spirit and we focus on the truth and we focus on worshiping in all aspects of our life, guess what happens? Christ is glorified. Christ is honored. And people see that we have made a difference and we see that Christ has made a difference in their lives. So I want to encourage you as we begin this Sunday with this study and worship, and we're going to continue this path for several weeks to come, I want to encourage you to think through the idea of worship. To pray through the idea of worship. To understand that your lives should be filled with the worship of the Lord, actively living out His commands. Treating others as Christ has caused you to treat them. Giving of yourself for His honor and for His glory. When you do those things, I believe, you'll experience a true worship. And when you do that, God is honored. And He's going to use you in mighty and powerful ways for His glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the clarity of Your Word. We thank You for this teaching, Father. We thank You that Christ is so precise in His definition that we're thinking through this idea of spirit and truth. Father, help us if we struggle with the idea of worship being on Sunday morning or Lord, help us to move past that. Help us to see there are moments every day of our lives when we can worship Him. We can see Your truth and apply Your truth to our lives. Father, there, there are so many different opportunities during the week Lord, for us to worship You. I pray we understand that our worship is foundational in Christ. It's foundational, Father, that our hearts be in tune with Christ. And then, Father, when we get to that place, I pray that we would seek the truth of who you are. And if we delve into the truth of who you are, I pray that we just would worship you more and more and more and more. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity to come and pray. Maybe you need to pray a little bit about worship and what we'll have you do Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.